Joe Harmon. This week's episode is an interview with Amanda Jacks, who works with the Football Supporters Association and uses her Twitter account, FSA Fair Cop, as a hub for fans who find themselves in situations in trouble um, with questions or actions that have occurred during football matches. Amanda is, um, is kind of the central point for any queries on that front. However, this week we spoke specifically about a topic that occurred during the Swansea versus Cardiff football match two weeks ago, in which facial recognition technology was used for the first time in in league format, having previously been used in the Champions League final in 2017. And I think what needs to be discussed and, and questioned is, currently there's no legislation in place to govern the use of uh, FRT. We don't know where the use of it is going in sporting context and what rights do football fans have who are not necessarily part of um, a watch list, which Amanda will discuss later. Um, And also, where does that information go afterwards? I think these are important questions that need to be asked. I think that in the future, there will be a more prevalent use of uh, facial recognition technology and I think that we need to ensure that the governance is correct from the offset because, again, we're talking about personal data that is now being um, commodified in a football context. Um, I hope you enjoy listening to Amanda. Here's the interview. First, I just want to say a massive thank you for giving your time, um, which, by reading your timeline on Twitter, FSA Fair Cup is, is very busy. Um, to speak to me at Race to the Bottom about facial recognition technology being the topic at hand is starting to be used worldwide in in public spaces in certain countries with greater prevalence than in others. But this kind of jumped out of nowhere when when it came about. You're you're reporting on it and Big Brother Watch reporting on it. However, I'm I'm really interested in the backstory and doesn't seem to have been covered that much, even in the aftermath of it. Could you give a background on, on on the on the use of it and how it how it came about in in the match? Sure. I should first of all clarify that I'm absolutely not an expert in facial recognition technology. Um, so if any of your listeners want to find out more, they should have a look at either the Big Brother Watch website or Liberty's website. And there's a whole host of information on there, which um, if, if it's of interest to them, then they should find it quite enlightening. Um I sort of became vaguely aware of it a few years ago, probably just via Twitter, where you tend to find out about most things these days. Uh, but it, sort of my interest was more piqued when I read that the um, South Wales Police had used it at the Champions League final in Cardiff, which I think was 2017. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, I was slightly irked that... And, and this is far from unusual because um, 
generally speaking, you know, however much admiration, genuine admiration I've got for campaigning groups such as Liberty, it does seem to me that, you know, the civil liberties of football supporters are generally ignored by them. So I think Big Brother Watch had tweeted something or other about it maybe being used at Notting Hill Carnival. Um, so I sort of quickly piped up with, well, I thought, hang on a minute, you do realise it's been used before in Cardiff for the Champions League final. And they weren't aware. But long story short, it started a sort of informal relationship between us and we've supported their campaign signing petitions and open letters it's not something that the football supporters association have discussed in huge detail we don't have a policy on it but i suppose you could argue by dint of signing petitions and letters that sort of gives us a de facto policy Mm. i can't speak for the organization but my personal view about it is obviously shared with the likes of Big Brother and Liberty but I think you have to be pragmatic to some extent. Um, The police are like any organisation, they are going to take full advantage of whatever technology is available but I think the broader issue here is at the moment it's unregulated technology Mm. which is a concern and I think that they really should have started using it after they put policies and the like in case. Now, there has been a challenge by a chap called Dr Ed Bridges about its use in the High Court, or all of it's available online together with judgment. Um, but the High Court found that South Wales's use of facial technology in the context that Dr Bridges had complained about they found it to be lawful. However, that decision is being appealed. So it's a case of watch this space. And they also interestingly said um, it was a judgment based on Dr Bridges' complaint as opposed to kind of like a broader judgment about its use. I, I tweeted this much this afternoon. The Information Commissioner, Elizabeth Denham, has written this afternoon on, on their website about it. And she's certainly very strong in saying, you know, well, hold your horses. Let's start getting the use of this technology regulated. Let's get some policy in place and let's get some law around it. And I think once that happens, then obviously it brings a level of comfort in, doesn't it? Because mm. we know then it's not just been used on an ad hoc basis rather it's been used in accordance with a specific policy about it and that and, and to be fair to South Wales Police that isn't to suggest they're using it willy-nilly you know if you read the judgment in the Dr Bridges it's kind of clear that South Wales Police have used it in connect you know in, in consideration with for example their protection legislation so it's not like they're using it willy-nilly however they like they are using it carefully but that doesn't necessarily afford the level of comfort it would if they were using it lawfully because there are no laws around it. The the interaction that you had with uh, South Wales Police uh, on on Twitter, part of their argument hinged on on the use of a turn the watch list, um, which you you kind of dissected really well. Um, you know, how, what is the watch list? How is it generated? Do you know like the, any finer points of that, Amanda? Uh, 
South Wales Police have a explanation page on their website about it, which gives generic information. And from memory, it says something along the lines of that a, a, a bespoke watch list will be drawn up as per the event at which they are using the technology. But in, in the case, it was slightly ambiguous with regard to the Swansea-Cardiff match because initially South Wales Police said, you know, a watch list of people convicted and then the assistant chief constable came out and said actually the watch list only had those with a banning order on it so you know it can't it's got to be one or the other obviously there is a very lax or no level of governance regarding the use of this within sporting events that's right yes and also i, I think as well you know with, with regard to football banning orders there tends to be a perception that everyone on a football banning order is some sort of knuckle-dragging, violent hooligan. Well, that actually isn't the case. Whilst, yes, there are definitely some people on football banning orders that have been convicted of violent disorder or a fray, there are just probably just as many. And, and I say probably because it's very hard to get that information because the Home Office only release information about arrests and the number of banning orders given. They don't specify um, the number of banning orders per offence. And the list of football-related offences that you can get a football Banning order four is a very long one and incredibly it even includes drink driving to and from a football match mm. and the original purpose of football banning orders was to prevent violence and disorder and they're actually not a punishment they're a preventative measure so the idea is um, you're convicted of a football related offence in court a football banning order application will invariably be submitted by the police cps regardless of the offense and regardless of the history of the offender and the court has to be persuaded that if they grant that football banning order it's going to prevent future football related violence or disorder now sometimes the courts do properly apply that test but very concerningly they quite often don't so you could have, say, a middle-aged bloke who's, you know, the old cliche, never so much as had a parking ticket, gets a conviction for drinking in view of the pitch. So no violence involved, no disorder involved. He's just taken his beer back from the concourse into the stands. Mm. He's been caught, prosecuted and convicted for it. Should that individual get a banning order? Absolutely not. But it's, you know, the cynic might say that the police put these applications in in the hope that they will get their banning orders as opposed to wanting the right individuals to get the football banning orders. So that's quite a long-winded way of sort of pointing out why even South Wales Police using this technology to spot people on football banning orders is a slight concern because they're not necessarily looking for people intent on causing violence or disorder at a football match. With regards to the figures at the Swansea-Cardiff match, Amanda, you know, with police presence, we're not talking about an insufficient police presence being superseded by uh, FRT. It was used almost excessively, yeah? I believe so. Um, the Cardiff supporters um, went to the match under very strict conditions. They had to meet at a predetermined rendezvous point where they exchanged um, vouchers that they'd previously given um, after buying a ticket 
bought an actual ticket and then they all had to board coaches then they had to wait for all the home fans to clear the area and then they were put on their coaches and taken back to the rendezvous point where they'd met so the chances of any Cardiff fan engaging in disorder were very 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 small indeed and there would have been a substantial police presence at the match as well so you know based on on the conditions for the visiting fans and the very low number of arrests from Swansea fans last year which I think they just had two fans arrested at home fixtures all season I think there's quite a strong argument to say given the risk of disorder was exceptionally low the use of FRT on that occasion was disproportionate and bordering on unnecessary because every single football club has a dedicated football officer whose job it is to know who is on a banning order and look out for them and they also use spotters for the same reason and I think there's there's something about like about 56, 57 supporters between both clubs, I hope I've got that right, I'm quoting from memory. So again, you know, out of a crowd of 20,000, that's a very low number of people. And further still, breaching a banning order is something, I mean, I'm not going to say it never happens, but it very rarely happens because those on banning orders know that if they get caught breaching them, A, they run the risk of prison, and B, they run the risk of that banning order being extended or not overturned after serving two-thirds of it. So it's just not in their best interests to breach their banning order. One of the things that I thought about with regards to it being Swansea and Cardiff was that it almost felt like it was a testing ground for it to be stress-tested, laws generated, and then for it to be rolled out further to you know to the to the wider football matches and and the premier league and and you know the the championship and so on and so forth as of yet there's there's nothing in place for um the the english leagues no or, not to the best of my knowledge um we've got a few um football policing independent advisory groups around the country in london the west midlands merseyside West Yorkshire and South Yorkshire and I believe this has been raised at the West Mids and one of the Yorkshires. It's definitely been raised in London because I was there at a meeting on Monday night when it was raised for the second time and all of those IAGs have said they have no plans to use facial recognition technology in a football context. Mm. If anything changed they would categorically consult with us first. Okay that's really interesting. It's reassuring as well, I think. Yeah. Um, because I think it's easy, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes Twitter does have a bit of a downside where it amplifies an issue and lots of people read it and start going into overdrive. Oh, my God, this is going to happen at my club tomorrow. Well, to the best of my knowledge and understanding, it's not. But I do think it's something that supporters do need to be alive to and aware of. Is the fear, Amanda, that with all things such as surveillance technology, there is a strong private element to it? And with, you know, really at the forefront of society at the moment is kind of the privacy of personal data. Is there interaction or links with private companies and the police force, Southwest Police? Like, Are there any companies that are involved in, in kind of the use of FRT in, in the football context? 
don't know. Um, however, it wouldn't. I mean, that there's a lot of incredibly sophisticated and very powerful CCTV out there that some stadiums do use, um, and. I don't know for certain, but I wouldn't be surprised if that CCTV technology also has the capability of facial recognition. That's just kind of what I think is an intelligent guess rather than, you know, me knowing beyond doubt. But it just seems a reasonable assumption to make if you've got that powerful a CCTV system. It seems logical to suggest it would include some sort of facial recognition technology within it. Do you think it will be expanded into the rest of the the teams in the football league? You know, like like I said at the start, you know, any business will take advantage of technology if they think it's going to help them in their business or if it helps keep people safe. there's, if football clubs do start to use it, obviously you've got to question where they are going to get the data from to use it in the first place. So are they going to say to the police, right, we've got facial recognition technology, please give us your mugshots of football fans that you've arrested and or charged and convicted. And then would the police give those images mm. to the club? Would data protection allow those images to be shared? Possibly because there is a provision to share data to prevent and detect crime. Are football clubs going to trawl through social media to find people, you know, because you know what people are like, particularly younger people, they film themselves getting up to absolutely anything and without a second thought, blast it all over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Are they going to start trawling through social media to find images of their supporters engaging in antisocial behaviour? or disorderly conduct and think, right, we don't want them in our stadium. I don't know. It's certainly plausible, I think, and certainly something that we should give pause for thoughts around. But I say that, you know, I don't want to be alarmist in it. I'm just trying to think what I would do if I was a safety officer wanting to keep my stadium and spectators safe. Would I do that? Why not? You know, it's all out there, isn't it? Hmm. Is there any um, plans for South West Police to use it again with, uh, within the season? Not that I'm aware of. And if they do, I think we will certainly be questioning it. How much notice has to be given, uh, Amanda? So, you know, in, in regards to the Swansea-Cardiff match, you know, how, how much... I have to confess to not knowing the answer to that one. Um, I know that somebody tweeted South Wales Police today, I think uh, a Birmingham City fan, and asked whether or not it would be used when they visited either Cardiff or Swansea at the end of this month. And the police did reply saying no, our next use is planned on the 30th of November. But I've not had the chance to look at their website to see in what context they're using it then. That would be interesting to see how, how quick a turnaround and and um, how short a time frame is needed for that to be enacted upon. With regards to your role at the FSA, Amanda, I'd, I'd be really interested to know what your overall role is, because obviously, just kind of going over through your Twitter feed, it's it's very wide-ranging in regards to safeguarding policing. Yeah, or, is, or is that just a hard. microcosm of, of everything you do? It's, it's quite a hard role to define, really, not least because it's unique and it's one that I've sort of very much made my own. Um, 
I think in, in the main, I've got a reputation among a, a fair number of supporters as being that bird that you go to when you get into trouble and she'll sort you out and get you off, <laughs> which I don't do. I'm not a solicitor. Um, I kind of act as a triage service for supporters in trouble. And there's an amazing solicitor called Melanie Cook, who's got her own firm called Football or Associates. So we refer fans over to her for advice and representation, because I think it, it's just a general problem across society um, getting hold of a criminal lawyer these days is incredibly difficult legal aid has been decimated lawyers fees can be quite eye-wateringly expensive but Melanie's fantastic she offers legal aid and, and keeps her fees relatively low so I think whereas a few years ago a lot of fans would just rock up at court plead guilty to get it over and done with um, you know whether they were guilty or not now it's reassuring to know that a lot of fans are going to court with a lawyer and that isn't to say I defend you know those who you know condone violence or disorder I'm just a firm believer in the criminal justice system and people being represented in it you know whatever they've done so that that's one part of my job um fans who have been banned will come to me for help and advice more often than not football clubs tend to act as judge jury and executioner very few have laid down policies about their sanctions and banning procedures um, you know some fans who come to me absolutely should be banned um, and for everyone that I help there's another one that I'll say nah sorry mate you deserve that you've got to take that one on the chin um, so dependent on the case and the supporter involved I'll help them draft letters or I'll write them myself and guide them through the complaint system to the independent football ombudsman if necessary um, I'm a great believer in restorative justice and education in cases of discrimination not for every single case but certainly on a case-by-case -case basis I think the only way we're going to sort of help I'd like to say rid but sadly I don't believe that we're ever going to rid society of people with prejudices and discriminative views because I think it's just something you've got to be a bit pragmatic about but I certainly think it can be reduced drastically and education is the way to do that you know that there will absolutely be some people that have been vile and disgusting in the language they've used and a courtroom is very likely the right place for them but there's just as many people uh, for whom education is a far more beneficial outcome than prosecution so I spend a fair bit of time you know talking to people saying look you know we've got to get away from the strongest possible punishments and put put him before the court because that's not solving anything and we're still you know a football club is really a hub of most communities and fans are part of that community as well and you know I don't believe a football club is tackling racism or homophobia or anything else just by simply banning somebody because all they're doing is removing it from their stadium and putting it right back into the society that they're at the heart of so a fair bit of work to be done there although I think the tide is very slowly turning um, in, in, in a similar vein young people that behave antisocially at football or who may be on the cusp of the criminal justice system again I think there's a fair bit of work to be done there you know intervention work getting these young people in a room talking to them about their behavior how it impacts on others and the possible consequences for themselves 
you know, that they need to understand some of them, that if they carry on with their behaviour, they're very likely going to end up nicked and with a criminal record, which could, you know, have adverse effect on many aspects of their life. So again, you know, a football club as central to the community, I think, has a moral obligation to do more than just simply ban these young people so yeah a fair bit of work in that direction as well and whatever else that they throws at me sorry i've got to draw a breath that was a really long answer wasn't that it? that was a fantastic <laughs> answer and it gives you know that it gives such a great overview of of a, a, a myriad of things that i think a lot of fans <clears throat> are just not privy to at all um, I, you know, I myself, uh, not aware of the work that people like yourself offer and provide um, for, for fans across the country. Um, it, yes, it was a long answer, but I've enjoyed every single part of it. Amanda, I just want to say a great big thank you for giving me the time. I won't take up any more of it, but many thanks for giving your time for Race to the Bottom. Thanks for having me on. Well, I just want to say a massive thank you to Amanda for giving amazing insight into the use of facial recognition technology, how the challenges to its use are being generated, and a really great overview of the role of the FSA and her role, which I think is tremendous support and guidance and legal information that, that people like her provide. I think it's really vital to fans across the country. It will be really interesting to see how the development goes with regards to the FRT. I'll post links to the material discussed by Amanda in the interview uh, in the show notes. So if you'd like to explore that more, uh, please do. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, uh, I'm at RTTB Podcast or at Ginola's Left Foot on Twitter. And uh, I'm always check out racethebottom.net. As always, thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon. You are listening to Race to the Bottom.